0: When you're in conflict, you're in conflict. What was just said there? When you're in conflict, you can blame someone else. You can blame mom or dad or, you know, if the kids would have listened. You know, my spouse just, she won't. And not to blame Julie because she's never wrong. Um, But that's kind of what James is saying. You know, what if you viewed all of your conflicts as they're never wrong? If you're in conflict, you are the one in conflict. You are the one with the issue. You have a preference that um, is, is being violated. You have an expectation that is yet to be met. You have a concern, you have a fear, or you have a hope that you wanna make sure happens. A payoff, an investment, something's at risk, Or there's great opportunity. Where's the angst? It's in here, right? Uh, James never mentions the other people because James says, look, if you got a problem, you got a problem. Hence the idea of the title, winning the internal war. And the idea is that we need to start looking at wars as our problem, not we're in opposition to someone else, or there's a combatant, or there's the other side. How great would it be if both sides saw themselves as the problem? How much faster would we resolve? Like that. I, I remember getting into fights with my little brothers. I was the oldest. Still am. I guess that never changes, right? Um, and, and my mom would always say to me, well, what did you do? What did you say? How do you feel? What are you gonna do about? But, but they, but they, but they- she would just stop me. We're here to talk about you, Scotty. That's how I knew I was in trouble, right, Scotty? Um, we we might never get past verse one. Uh, some people don't. Conflict is someone else's. Uh, It's the church's fault. It's my family's fault. Uh, The government did it. Um, The devil made me. And quite frankly, it's inaccurate, right? People who fail to get beyond verse one kind of fail to have a relationship with the Lord. Fail to succeed in their endeavors, fail to have real interpersonal interactions, or how about just this fail? Have you met somebody who gets everything right, who has all the right answers, the best ideas? Have you heard somebody, you know, this phrase, and it's weird, you know, I have a better idea. How's that come across? You're talking about something. They say, "Yeah, yeah, that's pretty good." But I have a better idea. What they just do to you? Boom, just shut you down, right? Just devalued um, what you bring to the table, who you are. Uh, what they done to themselves? Elevated themselves, right? We're gonna get into some verses that talk about those who elevate themselves and those who lowly themselves. We're gonna use different words for it when we get there. But um, let's see if we, at least today, can get beyond verse one, all right? Let's find out about this war. We la- we lash out against people in order to get stuff for ourselves, that seems a little rough, but I mean, I guess it, we are doing war analogy, right? That's what he started with, war within you, and so we're doing murder. I want you to see something and this, this kind of sprung on me, and and, and this is my nerd E coming out, right? Um, you desire and do not have." right Think of the garden. Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, you desire and you do not have, right? And when she saw that the fruit was desirable, ooh, what was the sell of Satan to Eve? Oh, surely you will not die, right? One changes her name to Shirley uh, and then then tells her a lie, but projects you don't have. Ooh, you want something. You don't have, you you know, you you don't have something. You might want, what what if you had it? What would that look like? You would be like God, knowing good and evil. Ooh, weird. Remember what happens? She takes fruit, gives her husband with her. Then they eat. Oh no, what are we doing? Let's put some clothes on, go hide. Let's play hide and seek, right? Which never works. Jonah didn't learn the lesson because he tried to play with God later, hide and seek. God comes, walks in the cool of the day and said, hey, where are you? What'd you do? Who told you? Who? Did you eat from the tree, right? Says, oh, can't be here no more. All right, you're out. <whistles> Let's put up a little guard here. Big old swords. Uh, never found Garden eating since. What happens right after that? Gosh, I don't know. I'm pretty clear on chapters one, two, and three of Genesis, but getting to four, and that's, I usually fall asleep by then. (laughs) In chapter four, we start to, uh, Adam and Eve have a son, and then they have another saint. Remember Cain and Abel? Cain wanted something he didn't have, and so what'd he do to Abel? Murdered him. Bam. I wonder if James is referencing the progression of sin. And conflict. You don't have chapters one, two, and three, or or chapter three, really, uh, of Genesis, our first conflict, and then that goes to, so you murder. Now, it might just be a war analogy, but if you keep following it, maybe you'll pick more stuff up if you look at it that way. Uh, You covet and cannot obtain, so you. At a store or a restaurant, and, oh, well, did you ask them? Well, oh, no. We'll go ask them. Oh, I can't do that. Well, why not? I don't know. I'm nervous. And what'll they say? How about they're nice people and you're nice people, and it's just an exchange of ideas, right? Getting your kids to order or do the checkout at the grocery store, forcing them into. Conversation to interact, don't have why because you didn't ask. You're upset, you never even asked me. I love when they get mad at me and they never even told me about what they're upset about. Well, how was I supposed to know that? Did you tell me? No, we just assume it wasn't going to happen. I don't know what does assume mean, (laughs) right? this is the direction we go. You you don't have, but you didn't even ask. And you ask who, by the way, according to James, who would you be asking? Okay, Uh, verse three look down or look up. Uh, You ask and do not receive. Oh man, you could ask God for something and he say no? I love that one. You know, God doesn't always answer prayers. Oh, no, he always answers prayers. Just more than half the time he says no. (laughs) I don't like that, but he always answers, right? You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You ask the wrong question. Or you ask for the wrong reason. In a little bit, I'm going to show you a New American Standard version, which is what I memorized this in growing up. My favorite version of the Bible, actually, um, and it says it differently. It says you don't ask, you don't receive, and and because you ask the wrong way. And it says, here's what the wrong way is: to spend it on passions. What I leave out. To spend it on passions. Could you ask on the basis of passions and be okay? Say yes. Okay, good. You're good at, at least saying what I tell you to say. How could we make it a proper statement and leave spend it on passions? What would we put replace in there for your? How about capital H and end it with is. If you were asking based on his passions, God's passion, what Christ wants, where the Spirit's leading, generally, what's he gonna say? He's gonna, yeah. Oh, you wanna start a church? Well, you're a moron. But we're gonna do it anyways. I'm gonna change all your plans, maybe 2%, 5% maybe we'll do, but we're even gonna do that differently. But he says yes. Uh, Problem is, uh, you do not have uh, because you don't ask. And when you ask, you ask for the wrong reasons. Just because you want something, just because you think something, just because you feel something or you witness something, doesn't make it true. It just means you had an experience or are having an experience. What's the rest of God say to how you think, how you feel, um, what you're experiencing? Watch this, verse four: You adulterous people, sex outside of marriage at all? James, uh, do you need a vocabulary lesson? He says, you adulterous people, why would he say that? To adulter something is to take something with a purpose and use it for a different purpose. Now, we tend to take that and say, well, you know, your sex is designed for marriage between a man and a woman and uh, monogamy and your whole life and uh, after the ring ceremony and the whole thing and um, no one else. When you... Do your sexuality somewhere else, that's adultery, right? We think that's the only definition. No. Could you adulter your money? Oh man, I thought Second Service showed up. Can you adulter your time? Can you adulter the efforts of another person? Twist them and use them for something else that's opposite of what they were intended. We take something of value, and we trade it. We devalue what we had, and we go and pursue something else. Why? Because we think, well, that's a good idea, but I got a better idea. Let's do this, and James says, "Uh, that's like adultery. When you take God's plan, you take God's direction, and you internalize, you're causing trouble. Because God had a purpose, a direction for what he wants to do. And you run off and go do something else, your own ideas, your own passions. He says, that's that's adultery. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity toward God? Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity toward God? Does that mean we can't be friends with the world? oh, we have to abstain from all earthly and worldly things because I read it in James. I took it literally. No, we're talking about when the earth and God are in conflict. We're talking about war. If there's something bad going on, guess who's wrong? The world. Now, are God and the world in harmony at times? Yes. Could you do earthly things when they're in harmony? Yes, we call them weddings, celebrations. We call it work, six days. We call it rest on the seventh day. We call it a whole bunch of things. He says, when we get into a thing where you gotta pick sides, pick the right side. Don't get left. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God, which means it's possible Or do you not know, suppose, it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. You can't really find that verse exactly that way, but we know that there must be something like that because we hear it in the New Testament and other places. But uh, Exodus talks about this, uh, Deuteronomy talks about, in fact, all through Isaiah, all Proverbs, all over the place in the Old Testament, what kind of God do we have? We have a capital J, jealousy. We have a God, a jealous God. What's he jealous for? Us. Why? Because he has made his spirit to dwell in us. We have our own spirit and we have God's spirit. He says, together, I want those Together. We're separating spirits when we go our direction and we, and we reject the way he wants us to go. Um, and he says, uh, there's, there's a purpose to that. It's to, it's to draw you in. It's to draw you close. I stole that idea too. It's coming up here in a second. Uh, but he gives grace. He gives more grace. Verse six. When you're in conflict, love is. Verse 6, that God has more grace than the conflict that you're in, no matter what your thoughts are or feelings, what your fears, all that stuff. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Peter quotes this, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5, I think, I don't know. Um, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Why? Why does he do that? Because we've adultered God. He says, hey, I'm a value and I have a plan and you've taken that and you're going off the other direction and guess what? I will oppose you. In fact, it's it's not, it's... We have to be careful like when we think of God the way we think of other people. Like if Keith and I were in conflict and I did something, he might react and try to oppose it. If we replace Keith with God, because they're very similar okay? When I do something opposed to God, God need not react. God need not oppose me. It will simply go against me by design with really no effort from him. It's a lose for sure. Start the game behind, farther behind at halftime, and you might not make it to the final whistle. Like, you might end before the game ends. There there's no like God opposes the proud, it's almost like that's intrinsic. There's there's no way for him to be other than that, right? But then watch this. But gives grace to the humble. say it's like there's a little bit of a subtle thing going on Does it say he he gives opposition to the proud. No it says he, he's opposed. But then on the positive side he gives grace. Need not, but he gives something there. He's just by nature opposite of the proud. But with the humble he says, "Ah, let me give you something." Kate hey, I know you're having a hard time, but let me help. Let me, let me slip you a 20. <laughs> right? Here, go, go be on your way. No work. Um, and he gives way more than that, doesn't he? And so James, being as logical a guy as we find in the Scripture, save only maybe Paul, he goes to verse 7, Submit yourselves, therefore, Therefore, it tells you, this is the culmination. Like, if verses 1 through 6 logically fit, then here's your summation. Like, here's your natural result, right? Submit to God. Submit to God, right? And what do we get? It says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Submit to God and then resist the devil. Is, is, Is James... Assuming that you could submit to God, like that's possible, He commands it. Yeah, uh, resist the devil. In in the original language, it's called an imperative. We don't say that here; we say command. Resist the devil. Is James implying that resisting the devil is possible? Beyond possible, expected. We must resist. More than, oh, I don't know, he's got so much power and, and he's got that you know, forked tongue and the, the tail and the horns and all that. He's scary. Red, I don't think he is. I laugh at the cartoon version because I think it's so far off. Uh, but he has no power over you. In fact, what, look what it says here. And he will flee from you. What? No, I beg of you, who's backwards, James or you? You think you have to flee the devil or do you think the devil has to flee you? Because I'm telling you, one of those is a lot of fun. And one of those, hell already began. You've taken the power of God and you substitute it for the power of Satan. You think that you must flee from him. And God's saying, no, that's, that's not the game we're playing. Game, I thought we were in a war. No, nothing's that serious. Nothing's out of my control. Get back over here. Get over here. Have some fun. Oh, by the way, when you come over here, he will run from you. Not little like, (laughs) I'll catch you later. No, sprinting to get away from you. Why? Because you're in the most dangerous place for him and the safest place for you. you think it is to no purpose that the scripture said there's a purpose going on how close will you get to that purpose and how much will you doubt the opposition of that purpose whether it's inside of you or external right uh so Training thing down in San Diego called Operation Good News, where we do apologetics and um, evangelism training, the whole thing. And I would quote this almost every day when we would teach um, down there to these high school and college kids. I love that. When I buy stuff that's a sort to eat, food stuff, and the box comes and it says, just add water. Yep, that's my kind of food. <laughs> like, take it out of the package, put it in the oven. One step, that's what I want, right? If I got to mix 17 ingredients and then I got to cook it one way for a little while and then it's got to sit out and then I got to cut it and then I got to cook it another way and then when it comes out, it's got to sit and then I got to garnish and the whole thing, it's like, oh, this just became work. What if your relationship with the Lord was one step? Just add water. Just put it in the oven. Just draw near to him. Trust him. Believe him. What happens then? What if you got a great meal out a just add water? so many other analogies we could use there, but love the simplicity of that sentence. In fact, go back and love the simplicity of the sentences before that and recognize the simplicity of all the sentences of Scripture. Follow him and you're good. Draw near to him and where is he? Near to you, you can move the omniscient, omnipotent, ever-present God. You can you can move him, right? Hey, uh, God, come here. Can you stand right here, please, or stand in front of me as we go, or get my back, or What, what could it be like if you're in proximity to God, and He was in proximity to you? how your prayers go, how your thought life go, what kind of catharsis, even keel, could you have for your emotions? How would you see things differently? Listen to people differently. I tell you what, people that are far from God, very different than people that are close to God. Just being around them. Sometimes you can tell in seconds, right? You ever walked into a bad movie and you thought, "Uh, well, even if I don't get my money back, I'm not spending more time here. And then you ever watch a movie and thought to myself, oh, it's over? What time's the next showing? How about if we just sit right here and we'll just watch it again? We'll get some more popcorn and some more soda, right? Empire Strikes Back. 1980, Berglund family. Mom, dad, three boys. It was so good, we just sat right there. Dad went and got more popcorn and soda, because dad's rule is, if you're after the movie, you have to have popcorn, right? To this day. We could call him, he might be listening now, right? We gotta get to this. Draw near to God. How do you do it? Different than me. That's how you do it. I'm 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 out there, like on the scale. Uh, we're not even say what the scale is. I'm over here, okay, and I'm good with it. You need not be where I am. In fact, come up with your own scale. Maybe meditation's your thing. Maybe small groups your thing. Maybe prayer. Maybe a prayer list, Prayer journal. Prayer conference. Prayer night. Maybe new seminary class. You want to do like a really heavy, deep, just book of Isaiah from like crazy old testament scholar. And maybe that just sets you in a whole new place. Great. Figure out what it is. Figure out what draw near to God is and do it. Do it. Do it now. Okay? Uh, he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands of your current war condition. You sinners, because you're at war with God. Purify your hearts. Why? Because you have passions, your passions. Like, Purify that out of you. You double-minded. That's the phrase I want you to hear from that sentence. Double-minded. You can't serve two masters. If you're pursuing your own thing, he's gonna get left behind. If he, you're pursuing him, You're going to be left behind, except for he's going to drag you with him. Okay? The double-minded thing is how we get really in trouble. Verse 9, be wretched and mourn and weep. Why? Because you're in bad shape when you're far from God. You need not tell somebody close to God, draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. Who do you tell that? Hey, hey, God's over here. You tell people that are far from God to draw near. So he's saying, uh, you should mourn. Think of yourself as wretched and you should weep. Why? Because you need to recognize your condition, your geography. Get out the GPS. Uh, Directions, please. 22 minutes to get to him? 22 hours? I was looking for um, Buffalo Wild Wings the other day. I type Buffalo, directions. Gave me directions to Buffalo, New York. Quite a couple of day, hours, right? right? A little more. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. And then here's the, the result, verse 10. And this is the top of your outline. This is the one I put on your notes, right? Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will what? He will exalt you. If you're climbing the ladder, you're climbing the chain, you're trying to gain, get, take, earn, get status, what's he going to do? Like dad always said, don't get wise, bubble eyes, he'll knock you down a peanut size. Right? If you follow the Lord, no matter how far back, how low you think, he'll drag, he'll pull you in. He'll pull you up. Uh, We have to know our condition. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Amen? Amen. All right, let's get to it. Your external world is dictated by your internal war. That's backwards, by the way. Your external world is dictated by your internal war. That's backwards because most people are reacting to what goes on outside of them. Oh, no, my boss. Oh, no, my checking account. My family. Our country. This virus. No. For with God, nothing will be impossible. And I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. My external world does not dictate who I am. What goes on inside of me dictates my outside world. In fact, if we rewrote this, we'd write it this way Your internal world war dictates your external world. How you see it, how you respond to it, what you ignore, what you engage in, how long, what you're loyal to, what you avoid. Your vocabulary that you choose to use. The emotion with which you respond. You get to dictate all those things. We see it in verses uh, one through four, right? Your passions are at war within you. That's verse one. Verse two, uh, you don't have because you don't ask. That's an internal thing. You spend it on your passions. Verse three, verse four, you adulterous people. You take things of value, namely God. And you trade them for a couple magic beans. Those don't exist. Matthew um, says it this way, chapter twenty-three, verse twelve. It's actually Jesus speaking. Uh, it says, "Whoever verb attributed to in those two statements, right?" Whoever exalts himself, who's doing the exalting? The him dude, whoever him is, right? Um, I love that this male here, because women would never do this. They'd never exalt themselves. They're humble, right? Uh, They'll be humbled. And whoever humbles himself, who's doing the action there? The him guy, right? Will be exalted. So uh, who's dictating, internal or external? The internal of him is dictating the result he's going to have. Um, fun and scary, God's willing to play along. Hey, uh, you You, you want to be humbled? New God's a professional at humbling. And undefeated, right? Um, he's also a professional at exalting. And he's undefeated. Love that. Uh, number two, first one is your external world is dictated by your internal war. Second one, uh, your internal war is between spirit against self. Shouldn't that say, shouldn't that say spirit and self is between spirit and self? No, nope. that would imply self has a chance, right? Now, us Raider fans, we understand this concept. The concept of a rivalry, okay? It's this idea, like, to have a rivalry, both sides have to win once in a while, or it's called dominance, right? Raiders don't have any rivalries. We lose to everybody, okay? What's implied in here, who's winning and who's going to dominate eventually? Spirit against self. Who's losing? Self. Who's winning? Spirit. God said, I will. And in that day, I will. You have heard it said, but I say. You know, God almost never does conditional or partial. He says, this is the way it is. Get with the program. I love... um, I mean, four, five, or yeah, four, five, and six talk about this, but I love the new American standard. This is the one I learned this in back when I was in high school. It says, you ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. You ask wrongly, is how ESV says it. NASB says you ask with wrong motive. What's your motive? What's driving you? I just I love the way it says that better. It's why NASB is my favorite because it's it's ultra um, literal it trans. It doesn't even do change the word order to make it sound better in English, it tries to stick to original Greek word order I love the work that it forces you to have to do when it brings out things like, "Yeah, hey, your motive's wrong so you may spend it on what you request on your pleasures we've got to we've got to figure out how to let the spirit win sooner it's so going to win eventually but what if you won today what would rest of day look like tomorrow next year what would interactions with people be like how would that um, parent child thing go for you if your goal was neither to appease the child or cater to a parent, but where's the spirit in this? All of my interactions go differently when I think that way. And better. They go better. Lastly, number two was internal wars between spirit against self. Number three and last, uh, the winning battle plan is submission, humility, and Proximity. James says, submit therefore to God. Right? And then it says, first act of submission, resist the devil. He'll flee from you. That might be the hardest piece for us, the whole submission thing. What does submission do? Submission is the ability to recognize an authority outside of yourself. And it becomes this dirty, just nasty four-letter word obey see when you have an external authority and you're willing to recognize it you're willing to do follow go cooperate communicate make an effort and James is saying look that that's that's your mo with god for it to work for it to go well for it to change starting today you have to submit to god you need to obey god you need to listen to god you need to draw near understand and know him right? We, we heard that a couple verses ago a couple Sundays ago. submit to him and then and then much like it kind of like the twin brother is humility. You know humility is, is infectious, contagious because if you can humble yourself before God, all of a sudden uh, what happens to your relationship with Keith or Wanda or Fred? Because you can, you can start humbling yourself around them as well, and they, you start to recognize their actual value. You become open to the idea that not only is God an authority outside of you, but God may use one of them as an authority outside of you. Like someone in your small group could say something that was true, and you could accept it and try it and be better off for it? What? You could listen to Dad, John Cyrus Mercer, are you listening? <laughs> um, and see what happens when you carry yourself as humble. What does that do for your environment, and the people around you? And then lastly, proximity? Proximity? What's proximity? Proximity to what? Any guesses? To God, His people, His stuff. I was I was cracking up, up just a little bit as Bryce was talking with the announcements. He said we have a this ministry, of that ministry, of this ministry, of this ministry. Like, got all these little ministries, right? What was being said? There's a bunch of stuff God's doing that you could be in proximity. What would that be like? You see, uh, submission is one thing. Humility is another. And if if you stop there, you're missing a big variable in the equation. Like, what if you did submission and humility, but then when you added proximity to God, your chase, your pursuit of him. He says, ooh, let's multiply what you're doing tenfold. Bam! What's it look like now? Um, He he says at the very end there, humble yourself before God and he will exalt you, amen? Isaiah 57 verse 15 says it this way, for thus says the one who is high and lifted up, the only exalted, right? You can't exalt yourself, why? Because you're trying to take his seat. Excuse me, sir, I believe this is my chair. That's what God would have to say to you. Who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place. And also with him who is of contrite and lowly spirit. I'm God. You can't take my seat. I'm way up here. This is where I exist. Me and my humble people. What do you just slip right in there? Right? I take all the lowly, the humble, the trying, but maybe they don't always get it right. I, I drag them right up here with me. I got, I got seats on the plane for them. To revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. Revive. We're going to have revival. I use that word all the time. I was talking to a guy I known in ministry who used to be in my student ministry. He just took his first lead pastor position. He's over in uh, Illinois. And I'm talking to him, and you know, he's like, yeah, it's weird. I'm the only person on staff. There's like 70-something people in the church. They haven't had a lead pastor for four years. The last guy retired, they've been trying to fill stuff since. And everybody around here is talking about revival. And I've been asking people, when you say that, what do you mean? It's the weirdest thing. Everybody has a different answer. But they all want it. Revive. Revive is a reference to life-vive vital signs right uh re again life again God says I want to bring life again and for every person different person I got a different definition for that amen just like every different person draws near to God in a different way amen but whatever it is whatever is your equation make sure you're the smallest variable and you'll get a crazy answer. Crazy good. Not crazy bad. Amen? Uh, you want a new answer this morning? You ever ask God for a new answer? God, my answers I've been getting, not so much. I, need, eh. I want new answers. I want, In fact, I want you to be my answer from now on. Your son is my answer to sin. Your son is my answer to life. Your son is my answer to direction, hope. In fact, I'm going to pursue this idea of fear not or be anxious for nothing. I'm going to I'm going to try to turn that over. Your son's going to be answer to that for me. Your son and your spirit are going to be answer to my relationships, my planning, answer to my heart. You're going to set direction for my head, and you're going to let me see things differently. Never made that decision to make it today. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Don't wait. You're missing days. Lord, thanks for this morning. Thanks for the idea that we can have life again, uh, that we can have access to your word, to your spirit, uh, to your plans. Lord, we can make mistakes or be far from you, and you can draw us near. I thank you for what Brent said a couple weeks ago, the idea that we can do it in all the little things, and that you do it in all the little things. I pray, Lord, you'd help us to do just that. And for anyone here this morning, Lord, who needs to make that decision, I pray that they do it that they'd ask, that they'd change. Like the people we saw in the videos that Mark shared a couple weeks ago. Make a decision to humble themselves and exalt you. If that's you this morning, either here or online, maybe that's how you say it. Lord, from now on, I'm gonna humble myself and exalt you. Come into my life, take over. I accept your son as Lord and Savior. If that's you, let us know. Lord, thanks for the offering that we're about to take. Thanks for the report on things we're continuing to be a part of as a church. Thanks that someone could stand up and say, we have a ministry, a ministry, a ministry, and a ministry. I pray you bless them all through more than just this offering. I pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. father-son leading worship together today took us over 10 years to get a father-son combo on the worship team that's pretty cool 10 plus years old still having first may you surrender the war and may he humbly exalt you amen go with him